since it's only September 16th. I'm curious, where were you on September 11th? I was in sixth grade, I think. And I remember being at school and the teachers just kind of like started getting really weird and freaked out but wouldn't tell us why. And then I think we got sent home early and my parents were home and we, were wa- we watched the news and it was just like the news kept replaying over and over the crash. Remember Channel 1 News? Yeah, like in school they had this yeah. news channel for school. Yeah. yeah, they'd show like, it seems like they'd show the bombings when Clinton bombed uh, Serbia or like Bosnia or whatever. And like, wow, I just vaguely remember like seeing stuff like that and being like, wow, I can't wait till I'm like 18 and I get to go to oh war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yikes. Jeff Bezos. He's Today's episode is going to kind of be an overview about the main reasons why Amazon is bad for everything. Uh, yeah, so this is Primeval <laughs> Podcast. Uh, my name's Chris. And I'm Natalie. And uh, before we get to the main body, I've got some Amazon news for you. First, uh, there's a story in Reuters a couple days ago. Uh, Ex-NSA chief Keith Alexander joins Amazon board. And that's General Keith Alexander of Citizen Four, Snowden fame. He's just joined Amazon. Um, so according to that uh, September 15th article on Reuters, Alexander joined Amazon's four-member audit board, which oversees Amazon's financial statements, uh, regulatory compliance, etc. Um, I, I hope that uh, General Alexander has turned over a new leaf in regards to his feelings about U.S. law, as he had no legal authority to collect all forms of communication uh, like he was doing with the NSA. Glenn Greenwald quoted the Washington Post in a Guardian article in uh, 2013. E- and speaking about Alexander, even his defenders say Alexander's aggressiveness has sometimes taken him to the outer edge of his legal authority, which is like a nice euphemistic way to to put that he had no legal authority to do those things as NSA chief. According to Amazon's filing with the NS with uh, the SEC, uh, Keith uh, will get 288 shares of common stock uh, vested over three years, which right now at their current stock price comes out to just under $1 million. I'm sure that doesn't include a salary. And uh, he's also co-CEO of IronNet Cybersecurity Incorporated. Mm-hmm. So it really goes to show that uh, meritocracy is totally legit and everyone in America who's successful has done everything right and is totally qualified for their job. So congratulations to General Alexander as he joins the Amazon board. Wow. Next story, uh, Amazon security analyst uh, from Business Insider on September 1st, uh, Amazon posted and then deleted a job listing for an intelligence analyst to monitor workers' efforts to unionize. Now, uh, from the article, in a now-deleted job listing posted this week, Amazon advertised that it's looking to hire an intelligence analyst tasked with duties including snooping on workers' unionization efforts, and reporting back to executives about their findings, uh, end quote. 
some of the groups listed in the posting are labor organizers, activist groups, and hostile political leaders. It's not too different from the FBI's uh, COINTELPRO activities in the 60s and 70s. And you could say, uh, are we an activist group? Is Primeval an activist group, Natalie? Um, no, we just talk. <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, you're right. But it's still like But sure, I mean it's still if if might we was, only especially if one of us worked for Amazon or something or we were like trying oh, to sure. rile up I'm sure somebody could define it any of anything like this that in that way. Well, the posting did point out uh internal and we'll have to do a whole episode on this sometime. Yeah. But uh, it, it points out uh threats both internal and external. So and what they consider threats would be you know, labor organizing, the uh, the protests that uh, Amazon workers performed for uh, like climate justice type mm. issues. Um, it might only be a matter of time before Amazon private eyes are throwing bricks through our windows and writing us like horrible notes and stuff. So that's probably, hopefully we never get successful enough to... <laughs> to be on their radar but yeah maybe we should be using pseudonyms or just kidding <laughs> but uh, i have one more news story um it's not related to amazon well it is loosely and that is uh on uh nbc news birds are dropping dead in new mexico potentially in the quote hundreds of thousands and i don't i didn't look at why it doesn't really matter why they're all dying we just i think it's evidence that uh we're in the tribulation post-rapture tribulation times mm. and um that uh yeah thanks i'm <laughs> glad that jeff bezos is uh donating so much money to to uh fix problems like this yeah uh if only <laughs> <laughs> so oh god okay that's curious. all for the news i am curious yeah. about that bird thing though um yeah, okay, hundreds we'll of thousands. Up. Why New Mexico? Does it have something to do with the fires, maybe? Or, like, no food on their migratory paths or something? Like, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, birds' lungs are particularly sensitive. Plus but, they're uh, high up in the, atmos- or yeah. higher in the atmosphere. And, like, are the wind storms? Fuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 Uh, anyway, well, thank you for those cool. news articles. Yeah. News of the day. Um, cool. Well, should we get into the main body of this episode? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so I'm just going to introduce what I've written today. Um, is a very broad overview of problems that Amazon's size and business practices lead to. And this is just an overview, though. Because there are literally so many issues that we're making an entire podcast about it. So, um, but yeah, for each section that is in this episode, there's probably hundreds of articles and examples to portray these these issues and more. Um, but hopefully we're going to get deeper into these issues in further episodes and dispel some of the false perspectives that Amazon promotes in defense of its policies. Yeah, for sure. Um... Some of these things probably people already know about, but we're just going to kind of cover it because Amazon is bad in so many ways. So, um, first of all, they're killing small businesses. So, Amazon has a history of buying out 
or undercutting or and or undercutting smaller businesses into submission. Since they're such a large company, they can lose money for way longer to gain market share and use this technique often. Um, this is one of the ways they've been able to grow so quickly and so huge. And this isn't a new technique. It's It was historically used by robber barons during the Industrial Revolution to buy various manufacturing, rail lines, mining operations, and created some of the first monopolies before any antitrust laws were created. But although they were the first, whatever, quote-unquote, monopolies, um, wealth disparity and accumulation goes way further back, as we all know. So one example of this, like, undercutting, buying out system they do is uh, with diapers.com, which is a story, Chris, you actually brought this uh, to my attention, and maybe you can mm -hmm. help me fill in some of the details, because I couldn't find the article. Oh, sure. But basically, um, diapers.com was an online diapers and baby formula retailer. And they started doing um, like a weekly delivery service. So Amazon saw them as a threat, tried to buy them out, but diapers.com declined. And so in retaliation, Amazon ran an insanely cheap promotion for diapers, undercutting them by about 30%. And... Um, one article said that they were even using bots to constantly adjust their prices, even as diapers.com adjusted theirs. So they were just like m matching um, and undercutting. Anyway, then they also started a promotion for a similar weekly subscription that was like, do you remember this detail? It was like three months for free. Something ridiculous. No, I, I, I don't. I'm seeing this here. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, they did this promotion and they were undercutting them. And of course, this this like slightly smaller or yeah smaller company than Amazon couldn't keep it up because they were just losing money, trying to meet their prices. And um, so after Amazon did this for about a year and lost over a hundred million dollars, they they approached Diapers.com and said, "Hey, now do you want to sell out to us?" And of course, because mm -hmm. Diapers.com was like bleeding money, they have to say yes. I, I do think the story is probably a little bit more complicated than this, but this is the kind of the um, the gist. Well, an interesting. I just watched uh, that congressional like deposition that they had recently. Uh, I watched part of it where Jeff Bezos claimed that uh, he's he basically pretended not to remember this the details very well <laughs> about this event, but he said, "But I do seem to recall that we followed Diapers.com and the uh, price lowering, which is like not." the point at all like they might have been trying to gamble to to gain market share and not expect that amazon had basically infinite money that yeah. they could throw at this like like they were gonna so it, lose like it doesn't that. matter like what a dumb excuse like totally <laughs> that's like the best thing you could come up with is that maybe diapers.com lowered their prices before Amazon did. It's like, who cares? Who cares? There's, I feel like there's a lot of little rhetorical responses like that throughout many, mm -hmm. you know, somebody approaches Amazon and says, you're this, and then they have some kind of canned corporate response that, totally, that yeah. if you're not looking, seems like an adequate response or whatever, but is just stupid and <laughs> doesn't even make sense. <laughs> or, you know, it doesn't yeah. actually cover their asses. Right, yeah. Anyway... So this is a tactic for monopolized companies or giant companies to, to lose money in the short term and gain market share forever. Um, but yeah, so 
There's other ways that they kill small business, and they undercut sellers on their very own platform. So I had found an article about um, an airsoft gun retailer who sold on Amazon Marketplace, and this had happened to him where he um, basically Amazon monitors the best-selling item in their shop and then goes to the manufacturer, gets it for cheaper, sells it for cheaper until the person that they're trying to eliminate it runs out of money and can't compete with their prices and goes out of business. And now Amazon's the only one who sells that item. And um, mm. the example they had was this airsoft manufacturer. He sells like 100 items, including airsoft guns and accessories and ammo. And then because he's on their platform, Amazon has access to all of their data. Technically, they're not allowed to use that data, but they can use aggregate data. And so I'm using air quotes. They can use aggregate data. <laughs> and so they can aggregate this airsoft seller with a dummy account because you only need two, two or more sellers to be aggregate. So they, they make a dummy account and they include this one seller, which basically just gives them the data for that one seller. And then they use that data to find their best-selling items and then do this cut to the manufacturer. Um, so it's kind of bizarre that they do this to their very own sellers, but it also speaks to their size and that they don't care about the people using these like small businesses using their platform because there are thousands of them. If they lose one or they undercut one into oblivion, there's just going to be like another person to take their place. Which we've seen that right. type of um, concept yeah. before. Yeah, like it's pretty low barrier of entry to just sell stuff like um, online, I guess. But uh, yeah, any, people who are willing to try and make like the numbers work. And like yeah. Amazon doesn't even have to be uh, predatory necessarily to them specifically for them to not make money because of Amazon's super high like commissions and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, completely. And th yeah, that's another aspect of it is, okay, so w I've talked to people anecdotally and like, oh yeah, they're, Amazon's bad for small business. And I I'll often hear people say like, oh, well, what about the marketplace that helps small businesses because they use this platform. But like you said, it actually is, it can be really harmful because these businesses try to grow. They sign up and use Amazon because it has a really low um, threshold for like difficulty or you're going to suddenly get a lot of customers and then you become dependent on their platform and can't negotiate in any way once they up their fees um which they have been doing what was what were the years it was 19 percent, and now yeah it's yeah like 30... it went from 19 percent like 2015 up to 30 percent uh, now that's just platform for fees like, for selling on marketplace right um and so that's just what's awful and and despite that i mean in addition to that these aren't even it's frustrating when people make this argument because like small <laughs> businesses aren't i don't i haven't articulated this <laughs> but it's like you're like oh they're using the amazon platform and that's supporting small businesses, but half of like 40% of those are in China. So it's not like local economy, small businesses, and none of them are brick or probably none of few of them are brick and mortar. And certainly the work they're doing on Amazon is not brick and mortar and it doesn't feed back your local economy. Anyway, it's not necessarily good for small business. Yeah. It might just be one guy like drop shipping or whatever, like. Right. Drop shipping from China. And then, and then you can call it small business and in people's minds are like, oh yeah, local brick and mortar in my town is being supported <laughs> yeah. by Amazon. It's like, no, no, no. 
this is a different we're talking about different types of small business and apparently there's a lot of different definitions of small business you know i don't even know we should look that up actually mm-hmm. what's the biggest small business that it, that is what how do you yeah. classify them yeah yeah good point thinking of like um, some of the coronavirus loans that got eaten up by quote-unquote small businesses who are actually like giant chains oh absolutely yeah like, uh, I, I did hear that Ruth's Chris, uh, for whatever reason, uh, returned theirs. Oh, yeah. Um, which that. is, yeah, good for them, I guess. But, but yeah, them qualifying as a small business because each location, you know, employed uh, under the threshold, some, you know, right. 50 people or whatever. But speaking of, oh, drop shippers and stuff, my aunt just uh, tried to buy lids, canning lids uh, on Amazon and got totally ripped off, didn't receive anything. And that seller was... Uh, are removed apparently yeah it's it's like it's hard it's a hard balance like you want to i i kind of like the idea of people being able to you know like kind of ebay uh model just like sell stuff that you have yeah like that can't be found you know necessarily locally but uh yeah how does like like amazon's never gonna put the money into giving accountability totally securing and uh, yeah, like confirming every single seller yeah. on there. Like that's actually one of the one of the I, I think a really big problem about Amazon is is that there is no way to connect to many of the sellers. And if you get screwed over, Amazon's like, oh hey, it's not our problem. There's actually a lot of lawsuits against them about this that they've won because they say we're just we're just the marketplace. We're like the equivalent of making a classifieds ad, and it's your responsibility to make sure that the buyer is right. But mm-hmm. it's just, yeah. it, that's fake too because their platform actually is designed to obfuscate that. Where you, you can't even tell, it's kind of difficult to tell the difference between buyers, much less, you know, they're not, they're trying to make it about yeah. the item, not about who you're getting it from. And then when you have run into a problem, you can't take it up with the, buy, with the seller because it's some random Chinese company and mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no phone number or, you know, stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, weirdly about canning lids, I heard that there's like a shortage of canning jars and lids right now that they're really in popular yeah. demand. Yeah, I saw a marquee at a hardware store uh, in Idaho Falls and it was saying like, we have canning supplies. Turns out they only had jars and like the rings. They didn't have the oh, like weird. lids. So yeah. yeah. Also, my brother's trying to reload bullets and... Uh, there's no primers anywhere either, so what's it's cool. A, what's <laughs> primers? Good. Oh, that's the thing that uh, it like sits in the end of the shell, and it's what the hammer hits, oh. and it makes the powder, it mm-hmm. ignites the powder. Wow. So Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny what specific items uh, <laughs> are like the bottleneck that no one can get now. Yeah. We'll get, there's a little more about that in this next chapter which is monopoly tendencies. Um, so, and we'll, we'll get to the kind of the bottleneck concept, but right now, Amazon is the biggest online marketplace platform processing, then this is a 2018 number, but in 2018, they were processing 49% of online sales. 49, that's like half of online retail wow. sales is processed through Amazon. Okay, and then just to, wow. a little bit of math here, which maybe I wanna go over. So e-commerce in general is about 17% of all resales, of all retail sales, which it used to okay. be it used to be 10% in 2018, so it's gone up probably because of the pandemic. 
But okay, so if they manage half of 17%, okay, that means that they manage 8.5% of all retail sales, period. It's like uh, Jeff Bezos's net worth being 1% of the US GDP. Yeah. Like, that's, it's it doesn't ridiculous. seem like that big of a number, but it's such a big number. It's such a big number. 8% of like, all Like, I wonder how retail? that would compare to Walmart or, yeah, that's so, I mean, yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, and I think that that's the right math, but I'm not totally sure. Anyway. That looks good. By this fact alone, since they control almost half of e-commerce, whatever rules they want become de facto laws in a sense. Not only for the products that pass through their domain, but the retailers would likely have to follow any changes they make to compete because they manage so much. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then... Certainly, manufacturers would have to adapt in order to be able to still sell on the platform if Amazon made up some rules for manufactured products. So they get to control the market regulations just by deciding the rules of their platform since it's basically the market, at least, or half of it. So this is like just points to this unreasonable control over the market and rules and regulations that Amazon has merely by being so big. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I have an example. If Amazon decided we no longer, we are no longer sell things that have the color red and they ban the color red from their platform, suddenly half of the online market just doesn't have access to the color red. No matter, you have to go somewhere else because they own half, right. they manage half of the online <laughs> retail market. <Okay. laughs> and then the manufacturers who supply to Amazon or to the sellers on Amazon Marketplace, they realize it's not economical to make things red because they won't have a significant market to sell them in. So now suddenly the manufacturers are also not manufacturing the color red and those products just won't be available anymore. Not on the platform and also not to any other platforms that those manufacturers supplied, if that makes sense. Yeah, like a strong preference by, it could be totally arbitrary by Mm -hmm. Amazon. It could, uh, yeah, influence manufacturers to not uh, providing items that people might want. Yeah, and they could, they, they, the problem is just that they have all of the, the control just by owning all of it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of terrifying. And it, and like the color red is such an innocuous example just to illustrate it, but it could be something even more serious. Um, and we'll get we'll get into that a little bit to market chain control. Um, but I guess the same thing happens. I'm thinking about like Instagram and Facebook. It absolutely influencing elections merely by putting a a register to vote button on their platforms and if they like they have control of that they could just put that on certain people's pages you know like when i when i open facebook or when i open google i see a different i see different results than you would see depending on where where we are what we've searched before what's to stop them from only putting register to vote buttons on like people that share political views with facebook for instance it's just like, and nobody's there to make those rules. And they, they're such a huge platform that when they decide rules, it becomes the law. That's what the problem is. Yeah. Okay. This is kind of a little bit of a rant. But, okay. Big, <laughs> big tech companies like to just let a couple of quote-unquote competitors exist to, to point out, to point to in defense of being called a monopoly. You say, Facebook's a monopoly. And they say, no, look, it can't be. See, MySpace still exists. Therefore, we're not the only one. Which is ridiculous because, yeah, MySpace still exists. Other online platforms that sell stuff like Amazon still exist. 
for instance, eBay, but they're so minuscule, it's like not even comparable. Um, right. People kind of get stuck on the mono prefix of the word mon- monopoly, but something can still be a monopoly without being the sole one. It's just a de- it's just a matter of its outsized control over the market or whatever it's uh, involved in. Yeah. That's just an aside. So um, (laughs) here's another market and supply chain control problem related to their size. So um, during the beginning of the COVID outbreak, they had a huge surge in demand. So they had to prioritize shipping certain things like necessities, like medicine and food and household goods, which caused delays for a lot of other shipments to a lot of people because so many people rely on Amazon. And especially during the pandemic, when people weren't going outside, um, it makes sense to prioritize those things under the circumstances. But just this instance proves that they have way too much control over the market and therefore the supply chain in general. And I think that can lead to other big, huge problems. Um, And makes me wonder because of their size are they one of the groups that's like too big to fail you know people always say like banks are too big to fail if amazon was suddenly gonna go out of business yet so many people buy all this stuff from them they would get bailed out right like yeah like uh it seems like they'd make that case and i think they could win over congress because like the the businesses that get bailed out are, it's not like they're irre- irreplaceable, but uh, yeah, they're too big. It's like Uber, like I, Uber will never ever make money, but there's like no way that the government's going to let them just go away because people are too, uh, too addicted to that service. Right, too reliant. And unless they made like a public transportation version of that, that was publicly owned or something and maybe that is maybe this amazon platform should be publicly owned or something instead because obviously it is serving some need i guess but yeah like i don't see why like you don't just have a lot of smaller sites and let the post office and let it seems like people the way the internet works people could easily manage their own online sales and have them fulfilled by usps or something right Except that there's not, like, a one common forum where people... Like, the Amazon Marketplace, that's the biggest... It's even bigger than eBay, which used yeah, to be the lead yeah. in that. And then I think of, like, what they... I guess, natural monopolies? Is that... That's, like, the railroad and and um, utilities? But those right, were yeah. once privately owned. Is that true? I don't really totally know. Yeah, it's kind of a mix. Like, uh, they're not necessarily, uh, like, for profit but there is private ownership there's like a lot of different ways they do it but um, but they used to be p- private railways yeah least, yeah i right? mean like yeah it was just like yeah. infuriating because you'd cross you'd like drive your train and then have to go to somebody's someone else's track that like was privately owned right. and pay some crazy fee or i don't know <laughs> sounds complicated yeah. well and like building like infrastructure like that yeah as a private entity like you build it in the cheapest places you can, and then you go to business, and some other person built the same infrastructure like twenty miles away, right. and it's like, yeah. So that makes sense. It's it makes sense to have that all be monopolized in the sense that it's one entity, like making sure it's a good flowing system. Yeah, which, at least managing the infrastructure. Yeah, like which how, could be true yeah. for an online marketplace. So, anyway. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The public. That'd be great. <laughs> and then, and then there's nobody like, you know, price gouging or are changing the fees like 
Bezos's to his um, marketplace sellers, and it could be just this like fair place. I don't know. That's just a dream. Uh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next chapter is employee maltreatment. Um, and I think, Chris, you had some aspects to add to this, or we can get to Yeah, that. I worked there at uh, it was a facility called DSD2 in Carlsbad, California. Um, it was a last mile fulfillment, kind of. So that's like, it's that difficult problem where how do you get power or telecom or deliveries uh, from like the main distribution lines to individual homes. And so we were, they called it a sortation center, which I don't know if that's a real word or not, but they capitalized it. So maybe they <laughs> It's like an word. Amazon trademarked <laughs> right. jargon. But honestly, so there's a couple things. I liked the job. I was only there for like two weeks and it was mainly for a project like this. And I needed a little money. But, uh, you know, I, I gave him a two weeks notice right after I started. And, like, you know, didn't want to cause any problems as much as possible for the, the management and stuff there. Because everyone seemed cool. Like, I liked my coworkers. Like, it was kind of a, almost like a puzzle. Like, almost like a game. Like, you'd, you'd get a list of packages and you'd just go, like, stack them onto a cart. And you could see how many you could do. It's, like, no different from, like, a game someone might spend, like, five hours... <laughs> Like Candy Crush. Playing on their <laughs> iPhone, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it paid okay. Like, it was $17 an hour. That was, like, $15 minimum wage mm. in Amazon. Uh, plus the $2 an hour uh, hero pay. I don't know if they called it that, but a lot of places were calling it that. This is back in May. And anyway. Oh, like, wow. I didn't so realize money... that was so recent. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah, it was, like... The money wasn't wasn't terrible, but then again, I only got twenty hours a week. I was a temp employee. I had no access to their uh, like healthcare quite yet, which is kind of expensive, especially for someone making that much money. And like, it still would not have gotten me a one bedroom apartment anywhere in the vicinity at that rate. So you know, despite liking things about the job, there's the issues with pay. Just even though it's it sounds good on paper. It's really not that good for most places in America. Right. And then, so like a couple like specific examples, like one woman I started with was like a little older and uh, said she hadn't worked for years. She'd been raising kids and stuff. And that before COVID, she was planning on getting a job at a hotel. And, uh, you know, that job wasn't available to her. She starts at Amazon uh, the day I started, and then two days later she was gone. And she told me the first day that she had had shoulder surgery recently. So it's like, maybe she shouldn't have, but also, you know, maybe she needed the money. Mm -hmm. And that was like the only job that was available to her was this like strenuous God. job where you have to, where you actually do have to lift like 50 pounds, like above your head, like, you know, stuff like that, like where Amazon's taking up so much space that like, that's the job that's available, especially for like an entry level person is yeah. one that like only a small segment of the population can do without injuring themselves and then there's like the van drivers like they make gosh 17 dollars an hour maybe maybe a little more they work 10 hour shifts which isn't horrible it's about the same as like what ups driver has to work but ups drivers can make like 21 dollars like 
I think they can make as much as like $38 an hour. That might be including benefits and stuff. I've heard UPS is pretty pretty good money, especially Yeah, Sterling. yeah, yeah. I think their average salary or something is, it's well above 60K anyway. So you could live off that in, in many places, modest modest living but amazon this uh distribution the sortation center that i worked at was kind of the kind of the backbone i guess of or the it's like the manifestation of of amazon's attempt to push out uh workers who have a union and like make decent money and you know amazon's reliance on other companies to get their jobs done it's total vertical integration amazon managing their own uh fulfillment wherein they package items Mm -hmm. they sell everything through their own platform online and then they deliver it right to your house and they don't pay nearly as much as what people have been making for decades uh in equivalent jobs so it was just like Kind of eye-opening to see. There's a reason why not everyone complains about working at Amazon, because there's all right things about it, but there's like a lot of kind of more insidious uh, things that are a little more behind the scenes and maybe don't affect your average employee, but they strongly affect... Certain ones. Plenty of people anyway, yeah. Yeah, I looking at articles about this, I did find some... Like, a lot of people were doing strikes or try attempting to do strikes, especially during COVID. But some other groups were like, oh, it's not so bad, or it's, you know, defending the position. So I, maybe it is kind of, it varies, it seems. Like, yeah. when when you worked there, did you have timed bathroom breaks or, like, packing timers to make sure you uh, were being no, efficient? No, but... And that's the thing, like, I didn't have, like, a fair view of, like, what a fulfillment center's like. Oh. Basically, we got all the packages that, that we would need to get out onto routes. They It seems like they had just enough employees to manage the, the number of packages they got, which was something like 30,000 a day. And so we'd get these packages. We were always done by the end of our shift. Right. But when you're working at a fulfillment center, when you're actually putting things in boxes... I'm assuming that the work just keeps coming. It, yeah. it kind of flow flows in, and these are like electronic requests for items, and then it's like mostly automated. And then there's like there is a necessity for the human right. labor, and, and you so don't you fill in that, and it's like still pretty robotic. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. That's what I was reading. And about. yeah, well, um, but yeah, the fulfillment center, the work just like would never stop in the way like we could only do as much work as would come to us you know from a semi we'd empty the semi basically and then get it out onto routes and once the once that was done we were done but like yeah fulfillment center you're just you're packing boxes your whole shift yeah Yeah. so we didn't have those but like that would be something you'd see in a fulfillment center yeah it seems like the fulfillment centers are the worst sector to work in for sure um yeah that the work is really endless and like robotic and there's been numerous reports of people like attempting suicide or having nervous breakdowns in the place of work in the fulfillment center and having to like call 911 you sent me an article about that oh yeah which was really uh freaky (laughs) or frightening just to just like these people are desperate for a job and then you work in this pretty horrible and unpleasant and very boring and endless robotized work and then you want to commit suicide because you feel it hopeless um yeah totally so yeah there's also some creepy things i was reading about that amazon does to increase the 
efficiency. And some of them are like we were talking about timed bathroom breaks or packing timers or um, they even created a patent for a wristband that's designed to pinpoint and track employees' hand movements to monitor their efficiency and even buzz to correct behavior. So like if you're doing something slowly or like not in the right way somehow they correct this behavior. So I don't, it didn't seem like they had, they were implementing this technology, but they have a patent for it. And they do implement a lot of other creepy technologies, like tracking your movement throughout the center to make sure that you're taking the fastest route to the bathroom if you take a break, <laughs> which is like ludicrous. <laughs> so you don't, you can't stop and talk to your coworkers. Like you don't even know your coworkers from what I understand. People who work in these fulfillment centers, they're not talking to their coworkers. There's, it's not fun. But I don't know. I didn't work there, so yeah. I no, yeah, I, to I totally someone. believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to talk to someone who actually worked in a fulfillment center for sure. Yeah, like like I said, we had downtime and stuff because when we were done, we were done, and even if our even if there's still time on the in our, in our shift, you know, you just know that the job can't be very good if people are like. If you have an issue with having to prevent suicide in your workers, like right. I feel like that's a big Foxconn, like yeah. And okay, you also can tell that you have a probably shitty workplace if you have to actively prevent unionization of your workers, um, <laughs> which Amazon does. They have um, some complex computation systems to map and track union sentiments in their employees in order to retrain them before unions develop. So. Um, they even fired employee, an employee who's spoken out about the dangerous conditions during COVID-19 outbreak. And then they planned a subsequent smear campaign to discredit that fired employee um, and prevent further labor movements. Um, I guess we just talked about the deleted job listing that was like no. for <laughs> a position for doing this. So I yeah. assume they, they're probably just like privately seeking that pos- to fill that position or like, or maybe they found someone. Well, so it. it's still up. They've just changed the language, and it's like totally like uh, corporate, meaningless language that they use. It's like talks about uh, keeping Amazon safe and keeping our employees safe and stuff, and like defanged kind of the the listing. But I'm sure that it's the same as it was. Like, there's no way that <laughs> like, they're not. They're still looking uh, for this. Gonna try and do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're just like, oh, oops. We can't let the press know. Let's just move someone up from within or whatever. Or hire someone from the NSA or the Mormon church. <laughs> Which, have you heard that? That they that they made the NSA headquarters in Provo because, I don't know if it's a rumor, but because the Mormon culture sen- tends to be like obedient and unquestioning of power and authority. That's like kind of... Yeah, yeah, that that comes up a lot, and I don't know if there's a lot to it, the but it wouldn't surprise me, and yeah. it would, yeah, like the CAA recruits a lot at BYU or whatever, right. and it's probably partly because they tend to be like be able to pass background checks and oh sure, but they also um, yeah, I think uh, just how focused on making money without any any real ethical considerations about where the money comes from or what they're doing unless of course it's like selling cigarettes or something right if it's (laughs) if it overtly is against Mm -hmm. well it's select details of the religion but yeah (laughs) if they were selling coffee no way but if they're selling like 
I don't if know. They're selling uh, drones to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and they're like, no, that's fine. not that's not against the religion. You're like, wait, wait, look ahead at where this is being used for. It's <laughs> yeah, probably exactly. against your religion. It should be. <laughs> it should be. Jesus. Like, if there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so further evidence of Amazon's acts to prevent unionization is a leaked training video from 2018 from Whole Foods that is actually on YouTube. Somebody who was, I guess, watching the training video who worked for them filmed it on their phone and has edited it so you can watch, and it's really weird. But basically, there's like an animated man wearing a little yellow safety vest, and he says things like, We're not anti-union, but we're not neutral either. We don't believe that unions are in the best interest for our customers and shareholders, and more importantly, our associates. And then they even have like a second... <laughs> the associates being the employees yes, who would unionize. who would be so. unionizing. That like, if you, yeah. if you desire to unionize, like, just don't, because it's probably not in your best interest. Coming from your fucking <laughs> <Right>. employer, sure. <laughs> your billionaire monopoly employer it's ludicrous yeah. okay and then they have they like move on and there's like a part talking about managers and like if you feel if you feel like someone's talking about unionizing here's how to kind of address it and they they say like make it a point to regularly talk to associates in the break room this will help protect you from accusations that you're only in the break room to spy on pro-union associates <laughs> so like go pretend to like <laughs> It's just so ridiculous. Yeah, pretend to be your friend so that yeah, so no that one thinks you have... When this yeah. inevitably arises, you have a defense like, no, I, I talk to them otherwise, too. I'm not just a spy. <laughs> I'm just a narc. Yeah. Uh, also, our, our friend Steven, uh, who works as an instructional designer, uh, says that that video is about the worst like instructional design he's ever seen. <laughs> so it's like this like real rickety... They can't pay for, like, animation that looks like anything you'd want to watch. Yeah, so, it's really yeah. cheesy. But the whole the video is on YouTube. We can put that link in the show notes or whatever. So if your business can't survive if there's a union, maybe you should try a model that doesn't rely on the exploitation of your workers to be profitable. Just a thought. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what the right answer is about a lot of this. Like, I didn't study economics or anything. Right. But it does seem like... If the boss isn't willing to do the same work as the employees, and they're not, and, and they're expecting that sort of return, yeah, maybe maybe they're in the wrong line of work. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, there's so much evidence that unionization protects the workers and increases wages, and is just like ethical and good. And to be actively curbing or preventing unionization, and they they give all these like you know super corporate defenses like it's bad for the shareholders <laughs> it's like no it's really actually healthy for a fair and equitable system like this is if and if your employees think it's necessary to unionize they should i don't know anyway there was also recently taken to the supreme court i believe was this issue at amazon fulfillment centers the employees were required to attend anti-theft screenings at the end of their shift and this is where they amazon makes sure that you're not stealing stuff from the fulfillment center so they screen you before you leave but because they're trying to save money the anti-theft screening kiosks were understaffed and so the screenings can take up to 25 minutes Every day, um, <laughs> which is like two and a half hours a week. Okay, and then Amazon was like, "No, we don't have to pay you 
employees to do these mandatory screenings, but you have to keep doing them. And um, eventually it was taken to the Supreme Court, who ridiculously ruled in Amazon's favor that it's somehow constitutional for them to not compensate workers for this time. And uh, anyway, this article kind of gets a little bit into detail about that ruling and these weird technicalities of like whether it's crucial to the job or whether it's extra for the job like walking to your car afterwards your employer is not going to compensate you for that but it does seem mandatory and i'm really surprised with that ruling which makes me question the (laughs) courts (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) no that sucks (laughs) like 2.5 hours a week it's mandatory you know that's what's crazy about it Mm -hmm. or like they, okay, and in the article, they even pointed out, like, this could have been a non-issue if Amazon just, like, went ahead and made, hired, hired enough people to do the screenings in order for it to just take a couple of minutes instead of half an entire hour. If it took, like, yeah. four minutes, the time would be negligible, but they're so cheap mm-hmm. that they wouldn't even staff their own fucking anti-theft screening. <laughs> it's just, like... Oh. Oh, uh, it's unbelievable it's really how nuts. cheap they are. Yeah. yeah. I, we'll get into that a little bit in my yeah. section. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, my last section, I believe, is um, tax evasion slash fake philanthropy rant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Amazon paid no federal income tax for, I think it was three years in a row. And in 2018, received an, a $129 million tax rebate from the federal government. 137 million refund in 2017, and here's how. So there was Republican tax cuts in 2017. They also claimed a carryover of losses from, quote, when the company was not profitable, which is insane because most of the time they're losing money is to undercut competitors to gain market share, like our example from diapers.com. I assume, and maybe there's other ways that they're losing money, but I feel like likely it's most most of, of this, like, market share gain tactic. Okay, another way that they're able to not pay federal income taxes is because they pay their employees in stocks, which I don't totally understand. Whatever. Pay their employees in stocks. (laughs) Do you know much about that? Why is that a tax? We gotta have someone who knows. uh, Yes, we're gonna ask. Who knows economics to teach us because I have no idea. Also, you don't pay taxes on money that you reinvest, I guess. Yeah. And so they... Which... Yeah, I think that's been a, a loophole for quite a long time, and and I think it, I think it's generally considered a, a pretty good thing in some ways. But it just depends on what this this reinvestment in R and D what it actually entails. And well, I I have one. I'm curious about that too because okay, it does make sense for, on in terms of like a really a small business. It's like we didn't really make money because we're still growing. But Amazon is so huge, and probably their reinvestment into research and development is like other. Sp- um, AI technologies or like spy technologies or Alexa and stuff like that that will end up serving it's not like research into technology for the common good it's like ultimately gonna be something that they're gonna sell but I don't totally I don't know how tax law is structured and this would be really interesting to talk to a tax lawyer yeah I'm really curious uh how much internal research they do with Alexa and how much of it is uh through universities and how much of it is just them cranking through data to get uh, to help Alexa understand language better by paying people like one cent a page to tag data and stuff. Right. Or or if they're actually carrying that sort of language recognition and generated speech, if they're making those things better. 
I mean, I hate those things and I don't want them to exist, but at least one could argue that uh, it's an interesting area of technology that, you know, it's a, it's a valid place to put research dollars into. Sure. But, I am. Yeah, I don't know. We, I would like to research that as, a, as another episode potentially is like, what are, because they did... Li- list R&D, like a lot of money um, allocated to this. And I wonder what it is exactly. What are their projects um, other than like yeah. maybe making the platform more uh, efficient or something like that? But that would be curious. Okay. And then the last way or one other way that they're able to defer or avoid taxes is because they're creating jobs, um, which is true. Um, but it's also kind of a sad thing just because the jobs are they're creating is sort of like like we talked about earlier kind of unpleasant and you see this bleak future of like the only place hiring in a pandemic is this like terrible mega corporation they also get tax credits for like creating these jobs that no one wants to do but they have to because no one else is hiring it's just like kind of shitty and sad but yeah they create jobs. well yeah okay so <laughs> great <laughs> Okay, so they will pay, for the first time in three years, federal tax of two, from 2019 of $276 million in state and $914 million in federal that's somehow deferred into a later date. I didn't understand that, but hmm. interesting. Okay, and then they are going to pay $2.4 billion in payroll tax, but okay, a This is kind of not so much to brag about because economists agree that payroll taxes are ultimately paid by employees in the form of reduced compensation, according to this guy, Matthew Gardner, um, who's a economic policy guy anyway so yeah they're gonna pay taxes this year but they've they have this long history of not paying taxes and that's just another really big in my opinion really big problem that amazon presents um so yeah i've also got a bit on their smile program if you want to talk about that yeah (laughs) um okay so i guess amazon smile is another way to not pay taxes is because you're you have tax deductions by giving to charity, but I would guess it's kind of a small amount of taxes deferred relatively, but it's also just such an infuriating program that I wanted to talk about it. So (laughs) Amazon is supposedly donating to charities a fractional percent of sales, 0.5% to be exact, of eligible purchases through the Smile link. So (laughs) that's half of a cent for every dollar that Amazon makes. And then another barrier to actually allowing the charities to collect this money is that the purchases can't be made on any part. It can't just be any part of the Amazon platform. It has to specifically be processed through the Smile page. So, which which makes it, you forget, like you're like, oh, some... Mine, this nonprofit has is advertising that they have this relationship. They're encouraging shoppers to shop on Amazon. So the buyers think they're helping, but if they don't use the Smile link, they're just like feeling good about buying from Amazon with no effect on the group they intended to be helping. So it's right. really easy. To, it's an easy mistake to do. Even if they manage to use the Smile link, they'll not get any of the money if the nonprofit generates less than $1,000 for Amazon. So... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so That's... actually, my boyfriend uh, signed up. He has a nonprofit, and he like registered his nonprofit to receive Amazon Smile benefits. And um, then when it came time for the for the payout, it was like he had bought a bunch of things for his for this like other business just to kind of like feel it out. And um, yeah, didn't use forgot to use the link like <laughs> everyone does some of the time. But then also, 
managed to only spend like less than a thousand dollars and they wrote him a letter and said uh we only pay if it's five dollars or more so if you make if you make five dollars or less they just won't they'll just keep that money which is okay it seems like a small enough amount of money because none of the nonprofits are going to make a huge stink about just five dollars of course it's like nothing but over thousands of transactions this adds up to like huge savings for amazon that they didn't end up donating but seem like they would have donated. Okay. Yeah, and I wonder how much. Uh, yeah. Traffic I, I wonder generates. too. Because okay, so according to the Amazon FA, Amazon Smile FAQ, there's over a million charitable groups to donate to, and probably most of them are like small nonprofits, like my boyfriend's or whatever small nonprofit who has a really small fan base and didn't end up making the five dollars <laughs> like what does that add up to yeah and it's like a popularity contest like um yeah like you have to know who's participating in the program and then yeah. find their link and stuff yes and, and like... do it through the so basically amazon gets all this free word of mouth advertising and doesn't give any money to any of these charities because that's the whole yeah. point is you're like oh hey support my nonprofit if you buy shit on amazon and then they're, you're, the person you talk to probably doesn't use the link, first of all. And even if they do, it has to be this huge number. And Amazon promotes certain certain nonprofits that are already really huge, like the Red Cross. And th- this article listed a bunch of them. And um, these nonprofits that already are making tons of money get pushed to the top. And so all of the other little ones that they're allegedly helping and probably creating way more word of mouth... Um, don't get any of the money. It's so stupid. <laughs> um, okay, and then, so I read this article, Why Amazon Smile Doesn't Make Me Smile, and it was pretty informative. <laughs> but <laughs> I recommend it. It's pretty short. Um, yeah. But one of the last concepts was, they say, finally, consider the possibility that Amazon Smile could ultimately lead to less, not more charitable giving. If it leaves shoppers feeling like they've done their part, they may be less likely to respond to a direct appeal from a nonprofit. So, like, they think that they're donating through the Amazon Amazon page, which they probably actually aren't if they didn't use the right link. Yeah, because they already gave him six cents. Yeah, ex- or, no, they're like, I already something. spent all that. I already spent all that money on bullshit I was buying on Amazon, which I don't even know how much you got of. I don't want to donate the actual $5 to you. And that's totally true, and Amazon knows it, and that's why they built it this way. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that made me so Here's mad. Here's a question. I wonder if, yeah, if the if they keep the percentage, I wonder what the tax law says about them writing that off. Like, I'm sure oh, that I'm yeah. sure I, I'd be I'd be surprised if they write it off, but I I just wonder what. Well, like, yeah, because the they were gonna says. give it, but it was less than five dollars, <laughs> and now they're like, oh, yeah, that that's sheer speculation, charity. but right, like, I mean, it seems like it would be totally illegal, but. Who knows? I don't know. But it is curious. I would be really curious to follow up with some of these organizations and see what money they got or if this if this has been a useful fundraiser for them. Cuz I think Yeah. I'm I would guess mostly it serves to to promote Amazon just buy, just being comfortable with buying of shit on Amazon and doesn't actually generate much money for these nonprofits, especially the small ones. Anyway, yeah, so, yeah, I, I prepared just a bit. Um, it ended up mostly being about Ring, because it was just, there's so much to it, and we'll definitely need to do, like, a whole episode about Ring, but anyway, so 
I I was going to talk about uh, tech, Amazon, uh, as they relate to the tech world. So they're considered a world leader in tech and artificial intelligence. Um, this wasn't uh, super apparent when my trainer at Amazon had to read a 30-minute mandatory online training to my cohort because nobody had access to it. Like, we had to take it, but their pro their system couldn't figure out how to actually provide it to us so this like poor person had to stand there and like just read it to us and had like quiz questions and they had to like ask us the questions and like nobody wanted to talk so anyway it was just like so real good use of uh technology by Amazon but yeah in any case uh the tech world is a big deal for Amazon uh Amazon web services make up 12% of Amazon's total revenue, but 58% of their income after operating costs. So their distribution and their online sales and stuff, they, they cost a lot to run. But Am so Amazon's web services makes up for a lot of their, uh, it makes up for a lot of their net income, which would be a shame if, uh, you know, somebody came and split Amazon up and they somehow had to manage to run their retail side without uh, this, uh, spillover from Amazon uh, web services, but yeah, that'd be terrible for Amazon. But in the meantime, uh, let's talk about a few things. So yeah, I wanted to talk about a few things, uh, ring video doorbells and facial recognition specifically. So I'll admit like having an inexpensive video camera monitor monitoring like my doorway sounds, sounds reasonable. Uh, I think it's fair, I think it's fair to say that we condone package theft here, right? Like, as long as it's an Amazon package. Like, we don't condone, you can't just steal someone's package from their grandma in like a regular old box. It might have like a family heirloom or, you know, a nice care package, but... Like, I, I don't care if people steal Amazon packages, but in any case, something like a ring doorbell would be pretty useful to protect your uh, e-commerce, you know. What happens if an Amazon package gets stolen off your porch? Will they reimburse you or if you have proof of it on the ring doorbell? Oh, you know, if you have proof, good question. I do not know. But uh, I think the idea is that that person would be caught or they'd be deterred by the uh, presence of this camera. That's like the idea. But also anecdotally, like, and this is someone I'd love to have come on the show, but they, uh, someone on Twitter said that they, um, were banned from Amazon for, uh, reporting too many of their packages stolen. Oh, wow. And they got refunds for everything and the items. It's a great scam. Anyway, they got banned. I think they, I don't know how much they ended up with, but... They ended up getting banned by just saying that their packages were stolen. Right, so basically, and they like, like weren't. Or who knows? Maybe maybe it was a really yeah. bad neighborhood or like there's some thief. You know, I guess <laughs> if I was Amazon, I'd be like, okay, here's a ring. Here's your ring, free ring doorbell. I don't know. Whatever. Well, <laughs> everyone so, should do that. Like, yeah, it doesn't seem like ring doorbell. Like family members own them and stuff. Like it doesn't seem like, like a totally bad idea or... But somehow, uh, Amazon, they purchased Ring in 2018. Uh, they managed to take the idea of a video doorbell and make it even more sinister than you might think just on the surface. So, first of all, police departments across the country, and at least one in England, Hertfordshire or something, 
They're offering rings at a discount to citizens. In many cases, the discount is covered by tax dollars, not ring. Rancho Palos Verdes, California approved $100,000 for a ring discount program in 2017. So talking about cheapness, like with the uh, anti-theft kiosks, they're getting cities to spend tax dollars on rings. And they're discounts, so it's not like wow. they're giving them away. They're people who could probably afford a ring to begin with. So it's like totally a sales, like market share move that they Amazon is always doing. But anyway, $100,000 from Rancho Palos Verdes. Yeah, there's another one, San Marino, uh, California. They agreed to pledge $10,000 toward the ring discount program. So here's a quote from a San Marino resident uh, in this Vice article. Uh, Andrew Coe, he says that, uh, why are we spending $10,000 when we have trouble paying for emergency services in San Marino? This is troubling because the city just passed a budget and the police department is already asking for a budget amendment to transfer funds from the general fund to pay for this program. So it's like, Amazon doesn't need this handout, obviously. But, so they're taking money from cities to do this ridiculous, uh, these ring discount programs. So yeah, aside from city governments giving handouts to this now trillion dollar company, what's wrong with police going all in on ring? Like police being involved with this. Like we could do multiple episodes on ring, but uh, the issues with it are summed up well by Evan Greer, um, an activist who's speaking to Vice. I think, quote, I think we need to think about what we mean when we say safety. And to me, there's nothing more unsafe than a privately run surveillance dragnet with a very cozy relationship with law enforcement spreading very quickly across our cities." Uh, end quote. One factor that makes it easier for Ring to do more harm than good is its associated Neighbors app, which is like Twitter for neighborhood watch weirdos. Um, Neighbors allows uh, users to upload videos and tag them into one of the following categories. Crime, safety, suspicious, unknown visitor, or lost pet. So instead of simply protecting your front porch, Neighbors is designed to, in to encourage the policing of your sidewalk, the street, your neighbor's front yard. Uh, Steven Renderos from the Center for Media Justice puts it uh, this way to Vox. Quote, to me the danger with these apps is it puts the power in the hands of the individual to decide who does and who doesn't belong in a community that increases the potential for communities of color to come in contact with the police. Those types of interactions have wielded deadly results in the past. Look at what happened with Trayvon Martin. George Zimmerman was the watchdog. He saw someone who looked out of place and decided to do something about it. Yeah, end quote. Uh, more recently, we can add Ahmad Arbery to that, a guy who was, at worst, trespassing on a construction site. You know, caught on video, and so some human, like, canned hams, like, went out with their guns to decide to stop this guy for, like, you know, probably just jogging through the neighborhood, and again, at worst, like, trespassing at a construction site, like, walking and looking at the inside of a partly built house. So think about this. How does knowing about all the minor crimes in your neighborhood make you feel safer? Obviously it doesn't, and Ring plays, uh, they play on that fact to generate more sales of their security products. Like, and how does crowdsourcing surveillance make 
neighborhoods safer. Like what happens when one neighbor flags a pedestrian is suspicious. And again, there's two categories. There's unknown visitor and there's suspicious. Like two categories needed for what could be, you know, you trying to protect your front porch, make sure no one steals your packages. Like you can see if someone drops something off so you can take, uh, you can go home for lunch or whatever. But like, why is this neighbor's app like so focused on suspicious and unknown visitors in your neighborhood? So what happens when one neighbor flags a pedestrian as suspicious and some other neighbor escalates the situation by attempting to question this, uh, air quotes, intruder? How does this, how is this helping anybody? Also, why does Amazon have to own it? Like, yeah. Well, and also, like, I think about myself, like, sometimes I'll be biking around or walking around and I see, like, a really pretty tree or flower, and I take a picture of it. And I feel like mm -hmm. if someone saw me doing this, they might think this was suspicious or creepy. Um, yeah. Well, oh, go ahead. And, yeah, to be flagged and put into, like, some police surveillance system for this, like, pretty common thing, just because some that person happened to have ring on their... Or, like, everyone, if everyone has ring on their doorstep. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just kind of scary. Yeah, well, and I think it gets uh, magnified or, you know, you, you rile up. It's like kind of mob mentality and you get people. Well, and yeah, and if it's combined, if this is combined with any racism, somebody was racist towards me and they saw me taking a picture of a flower and they thought I was doing suspicious activity, that whole scene becomes escalated into potentially something really scary just because... Right. Because this, like, police intervention was installed on everyone's doorstep. Yeah, well, there's an article, another Vice article. I'll have to put all these links into the show notes. But uh, it's always Vice. But they uh, they show some screenshots from uh, neighbors' region in uh, uh, Brooklyn, basically. And uh, there shows a picture of a guy walking up a stairwell in a building. So it shows a photo of a guy. Looks like two other guys are on the lower landing. They're like all headed up the stairs. And the title of this photo is Six Gang Members Going to the Roofs. It says Williamsburg Housing, be on the lookout for six gang members and don't let them inside. Like who knows what they were doing. It looks like they're just walking up the stairs. They're all like people of color. It says the comments encourage the poster to call the NYPD and suggest without evidence that the young people plan to smoke crack. Yeah, just like having a bunch of idiots uh, on the neighbor's app decide who does and doesn't belong in their neighborhood, that's a dangerous thing. But what about, uh, you know, like, what about actual police? Like, what could go wrong in sending all your video to the local precinct to do uh, whatever they will with? So... Uh, part of the discount program that I mentioned earlier, uh, it includes uh, requirements for police to promote ring brand video doorbells uh, and strong incentives for, for pushing citizens to join the Neighbors app. These, uh, these relationships with police involve police directly requesting footage from specific ring customers, and this is without a warrant. And the user can opt in or out, but uh, what right does a user have to send the police footage from their neighbor's front yards? Yeah. Like, wherever the camera may be pointing. So, uh, a guy named Drew Harwell, at Drew Harwell on Twitter, posted a an example of one of these requests from the police. Um, it says, uh, it's got the Ring logo up top. It's an email. It says, Dear Jane, Ring is assisting Detective John Smith of the Rochester Police Department in requesting videos 
that may help with an investigation of an incident. It gives an incident number. Um, so I guess you could look up what kind of crime it was. But anyway, that occurred near your uh, that occurred near your home. Your ring device may have captured video that could help. The Rochester Police Department is seeking videos recorded between August 4th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. There's a big uh, blue button that says share your ring videos now. Below it is just a line uh, underlined. It says or, and this is another link that you can click, or check your ring videos before you share. And that's like obviously the less preferred uh, link because it's not as highlighted. And so let's see. It says, uh, a message from Detective Smith. On August 4th, 2019, at approximately 6 p.m., a vehicle was stolen by three males in your area. They were seen walking through the neighborhood prior to the theft. I am asking you if you have any video you would be willing to share between the hours of, between the hours of these hours. Uh, <laughs> if you see, if you see males, two in white tops, one in red shirt, please share with us. What happens, like, that's a fairly specific... Uh, situation, but what happens if there's a guy in a white t-shirt in your video? Who's to say, like, that that guy won't get pulled in and he won't have an alibi and stuff? Like, there's a reason why we have warrants and things like that. Well, I, I do see the reasons why this could be, why it is really useful to have footage of a lot of things. Like, so many times in a lot of really serious investigations, the convenience store happens to have some security camera footage that plays a role and I do understand that but it really creeps me out like especially when you're thinking about like political revolution and for instance if the Nazis all had access to cameras that were attached to everyone's house it would be they wouldn't have any they wouldn't even need informants they just look at the security camera footage that everyone's willingly posted on their houses and you like it's kind of spooky to think about the reality that we're entering and this new technology enabling this like um fascism you know turnkey fascism and everyone just like has cameras everywhere and tracking devices yeah. and well the the scary thing is, yeah, you don't even have to go all the way to Nazi Germany. Yeah. Uh, there's a Daily Beast article I looked up. Uh, you know about Rico? No. It is, let's see, Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. Oh, it's wow. a way that uh, law enforcement was able to prosecute a lot of uh, organized crime because um, basically you don't have to have committed a crime. You can be uh, like associated with a crime in such a way that uh, you can be arrested for organizing the crime, basically. Um, it made it easier to prosecute groups of people or associations, basically. So... Uh, yeah. There's a quote from this uh, Daily Beast article titled, Inside the Bizarre Trump World Scheme to Hit Protesters with Rico Charges. It's from uh, yeah. uh, September 3rd, 2020. So it says, in his Monday night uh, interview with Wolf, this is Chad Wolf, uh, the acting head of the DHS, uh, Fox News host Tucker Carlson asked, why haven't we seen the leaders of Antifa and BLM arrested and charged with conspiracy <laughs> under, say, Rico? Like the heads of mafia families were. And this is, I mean, Chuck Tucker Carlson is a piece of shit and is horrible. But the scary thing is, Chad Wolf, who also sucks terribly, but he's a government official, uh, goes right along with it and says, Well, this is something that I have talked to uh, Attorney General William Barr personally about. I know that they are working on it. End quote. What? Whether or not they are working the on leader, it. The leader, the ringleader of Antifa? <laughs> 
Yeah, that guy. Jesus you Christ. know who he is. No, it's not a prison <laughs> idea. It, it just means anti-fascist. <laughs> People gotta know. And, and and then BLM, which is which actually is a group. Yeah, and probably does be, have a leader. But something. can't be fairly associated with crimes. Like it's totally. It's, uh, so, yeah, you, you have cameras everywhere. You see someone at a protest. And you can track their walk home. You could track their walk home using all the security cameras on every house in their neighborhood. Because you don't like their politics. Yeah, which is not. uh, You know, red scare stuff. It's like, uh. Or like something like the Underground Railroad could never have existed if everybody had security cameras on their houses. (laughs) That's a good point. Like, and that, we might, you know, that. That shit is real. Like, we need to protect people legitimately against the government. Legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, if people are following what they claim to follow, the I mean, not saying the Constitution's perfect, but if you're following it, it's it gets you to a decent place, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, if got, you're actually, it's got some good ideas, for if sure. If you're actually following the, the stuff in it. But, uh, yeah, well, and, you know, uh, what's her name? Oh, the local... Um... Yeah, that organizer from... From Salt Lake, who uh, was charged, and this is, I don't know for sure if she was involved with uh, the vandalism of the DA's office. You know, that's a. Well, that's, that's what she was charged a, for, yeah. Well, sure. You know, that's considered a crime. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like she just wasn't doing anything. If, in fact, that was something she did, who knows? But she was charged with life in prison. So, like, you know, if. It's just, yeah, making the job easier for people to keep people out of their neighborhoods, track where everyone's going, you know, it's not the case where you can, just like the NSA thing I talked about earlier, like, it's not the case where if you're not doing anything wrong, you'll never... Right, it's like if you have the wrong political idea, they're gonna... You could be doing something, or you could be doing something relatively innocuous, which maybe might warrant a fine or something. And be charged with a life in prison. Well, and <laughs> so, when, when being... Or, you know, threatened with life in prison. So. When when thinking that anti-fascism is a good idea makes you an enemy of the state, that's pretty innocuous right. in my mind. Like, I feel yeah. like being anti-fascist is like, yeah, everyone's anti-fascist, right? And then if you're suddenly the enemy of the state and then you're highly monitored, yeah. Yeah, they, they we're can living, you in We're for... living the, this, like, scary scenario. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you could be charged with some Life crime that no one would ever be caught for yeah. uh, unless they were being monitored, yes, you know. Yeah. You know uh, or even on a, yeah, like, some technical thing like they did with sure. with Mads. Um, so, yeah. what's her name? Mutual Aid Mads, that's her Twitter yeah, handle, Mads I think. Yeah, something. Madeline. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Charged, or, you know, uh, threatened with life in prison. So, uh, one more, one last thing. Didn't really... We should probably cut it off for this part anyway, but uh, I wanted to talk about one last thing. Oh, it's Utah Mads. That's her name. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um I think I want to I want to talk one more thing about the ring doorbell. Is I sure. I imagine that most people have are completely oblivious to its use in criminal investigations and mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing to know about and everyone should know that this is what it's used for. I also am really curious of the opt-in opt-out 
scenario because there is a there is a, a psychological phenomena of when you're automatically opted in you mm-hmm. typically just won't opt out right like for, you know we've talked about this for uh, organ donors mm-hmm. when they when they automatically opted people in now organ donorship is up like 80 percent when and when it was an option you have to click which one you want people mostly opted out so yeah. if you're automatically enrolled in this send police footage send footage to the police program i'm just really curious. Right. i'm curious if it's automatic yeah yeah well so you get the email you're already you're automatically subscribed as far as i can tell to the to to being uh to receive requests from the police and sure. the I'll, I'll send you the the picture of this uh, email but you can opt out but like the unsubscribe button is tiny you could just ignore it but like they word it in such a way like that uh, makes it really uh, seem important and well so it says this is a time sensitive matter so please review and share your ring videos despite they say review and sh- review your ring video even though that's the uh, less uh, prominent option the most prominent option is share your ring videos now and then it says thank you for making your neighborhood a safer place so they make you feel like you're you're helping and and you know they do tell you what crime was committed or whatever but like the most prominent thing in the whole email is is this big blue button that says share your ring videos now so they're definitely I think wow, this in conjunction really with the it. neighbors app yeah well this in conjunction with the neighbors app which the neighbors app seems like designed perfectly to uh, make you feel unsafe and make you feel like your neighborhood is like a criminal cesspool even though you're just being more made aware of like minor like crimes and like mild like weirdness like someone takes a picture of uh your house because they think it has an interesting color or something yeah. like and they want to there's a bird they want to compare it, it to like a paint swatch or yeah. yeah they saw a bird or something many like, reasons like there's all sorts of like ways you can look at a situation suspiciously and anyway it just makes people more paranoid and they're probably going to share their ring videos because it does seem like you know if people aren't doing anything wrong then they shouldn't be afraid of being on yeah exactly camera and i imagine most people think like oh i'm being a good samaritan i'm like helping this force that's supposedly creating safety for me like yeah i'm going to give them information not realizing how harmful it actually can be depending on Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and this is uh something from november 26 2019 from the intercept uh i'll just read the headline because we're kind of running out of time but it says amazon's ring uh planned neighborhood watch lists built on facial recognition so this is where the facial recognition comes in what uh, they're using ring with facial recognition they haven't actually um implemented it yet i did read somewhere that you were automatically opted into testing uh facial recognition but uh this was like a proposed idea where where yeah uh your ring uh not implemented now but your ring could be used to um, screen uh, visitors basically to your neighborhood and like someone on a watch list or someone who looks 90% like a watch list uh, person uh, could be flagged when going into your neighborhood and as we've talked about before facial recognition I think it's due to the uh, from what I know about uh, deep learning and stuff they facial recognition works better the more examples of like a person that you have to compare things to 
against. So like a white person, there's plenty of like celebrity photo databases and stuff. Most celebrities are, are dis they're disproportionately white. There's less data to train these things on like minorities. So um, in the US, so like they'll be less accurate because they have uh, less training data to go off of. So basically your uh, watch list built on facial recognition could uh, compare yeah, anyone who uh, is in the same ethnic category as like some watchless person, they're way more likely to be flagged just because they, according to the software, they seem to resemble that person more than like you might resemble, you know, a white person that you look exactly like just because right. it's better at recognizing your facial differences than, than someone else's. But anyway, that's... Uh, that is definitely a huge Amazon problem. Amazon and tech. So. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And then we could talk about Alexa and all that. But yeah. Anyway, we'll have well, to get into it in future episodes. But Yeah, I guess the point is there's so many topics that are problematic with what Amazon is doing. Not only their size, but their policies and the research and their partnerships. So that's what we're trying to get into with this podcast and hope to inform people about like why you really should stop giving them power and um, e either by boycotting or like changing local local laws or even federal laws that um, prevent these like giant monopolies and um, the problems that are associated with them. Yeah, boy. So, all right, it's time for Bezos Watch. It's a regular feature on the show. Uh, as of today, September 16th, Jeff Bezos is worth $186 billion. Sadly, he is down from a recent high of $207 billion, but don't worry, he still has enough that he could have purchased 82 World Trade Center towers, according to the insurance payout that Larry Silverstein got after the attacks. Or, if we go with a 2004 estimate of the cost to rebuild the towers, he could buy 41 towers. Wow. Also, are you ready for a Bezos fact? Yes. Uh, as a teen, Bezos memorized the call letters of local radio stations so he could fake being hip to the music scene. What? Wait, how does that make you cool? <laughs> I, let's, let's clarify this. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little too young to understand. This makes me, this like really humanizes him to me. <laughs> I, oh, that's so like, um, I, I just feel like, yeah, like any teen kid trying to fit in and they, they feel yeah. like, and maybe radio had a bigger role in his like hometown than, uh, than maybe it did in ours, but sure. uh, Pre -internet, like if you know which one's the country station and the, the, uh, call letters of that country station. So then... it's like KHFI or whatever. <laughs> right. Okay. Those are call letters. Okay. And so he's like, right. so someone says, Hey, so what kind of music are you into? And he's like, uh, H25K or whatever. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, you're into country. What? Exactly. It's so. the nerdiest way to seem to like try to fit into music scene. Oh, it's just like so Aww. I don't know, I find it charming. <laughs> okay. I but, wait, okay, no, sorry. Where did you get this from? No. This is from the Hollywood Reporter article. I put it in the the uh, article list. Um it's 10 things you didn't know about Jeff Bezos and it, I th I think it just comes from a book that uh the Everything Store book if I remember correctly, but I just got it from that list. So. Okay, I, I do want to recognize that an aspect of this is endearing, but I also kind of want to psychoanalyze this way of like, <laughs> he didn't, okay, he didn't actually just listen to music and develop his own opinion and then and then like portray that. Instead, mm. he goes and like rotely memorizes 
<laughs> sequences of letters so that when questioned, he has an answer to make him seem cool. I feel like that like is embodies his f- fakeness and yeah, roboticism yeah. or something. <laughs> Yeah, well, like, uh, yeah, like, uh, treating every problem as, like, an algorithm yeah. or something, like. Yeah, and yeah. It's not healthy. No. That's, uh, engineers shouldn't be in charge of things. <laughs> they should definitely be involved in processes, but. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta know, you gotta have some humanities if you want to. Yeah. Make things that actually work for people, I guess. So, okay, in going with the theme, uh, I guess we're on to the reviews section. Yes the most fun section but today won't be super fun because <laughs> i already talked about 9-11 a little bit yeah today's game is uh so not as fun as normal but today's game is can i get you to become a 9-11 truther through amazon reviews oh my god <laughs> so okay i'm gonna read uh this is the uh 9-11 commission report the reviews for this uh 9-11 commission report okay First one, uh, username tried and true review title. It's a piece of full blown junk. Shame on S. Shyam Sunder. Shame on you. One star. This book is as truthful as the obvious lies it tries to sell you as in your stupidest dreams reality. I get extremely angry reading this junk. Even the tree that gave its life for the print is embarrassed by the inked words smeared on its skin. I could write a book decommissioning this commission report. What? To keep this short, here are some quick facts to get truth seekers going. All three of the World Trade Buildings one, two, and seven. Three buildings, folks, not two, collapsed under 11 seconds. That means that, uh, presumably, that once they started collapsing, it happened in less than 11 seconds for each building. Okay, when you do the math for the number of floors of each building to their collapse time, each floor fell in less than, in less that one second, uh, ranging from 0.08 to 0.09 of a second. Think about that for WTC 1 and 2, that with steel and concrete covering about 43,000 square feet per floor, about an acre of floor, totally collapsed under one second. You can't snap your fingers at that speed. Building 7 was built with very thick beams. All three buildings fell almost at free fall speed. Okay. Next point, Larry Silverstein, mentioned earlier, leaseholder of the World Trade Center in a PBS interview, Rebuilding America, on uh, national television, you can find it in now in YouTube using terms Silverstein and Pohl, said, though his, of course this guy could type, uh, said through his own lips that he gave the order to uh, pull it. Uh, demolition jargon to set off the explosives to take a building down. Referring to Building 7, him saying this is documented fat, Silverstein later said the poll order was to evacuate the firefighters from Building 7, but by his own time frame of accounts and misreferencing of the singular action phrase in Pullet, the it cannot mean firemen. If a fire starts in a baby's room, you don't say, give it out of there. You say, you'll say the baby or the name of whatever... That needs to be saved. It, in Silverstein's comment, cannot be mistaken for anything else other than pull it, the building, down. Ah, the New York Port Authority had to be in on this dark event. Next point. If 9-11 was an unpredictable, unexpected, without warning surprise attack, when was World Trade Center rigged with explosives? 
certainly not on the same day, and absolutely not within the eight hours after the World Trade Center 1 and 2 had collapsed before World Trade Center collapsed at 5-ish p.m. Okay, these are simple facts, none addressed by the NIST, uh, okay, that's the uh, Standards and Technology Board, but he calls it the nonsensical imbeciles spewing trash <sighs> that anyone can look up. Do your own calculations and drop your own log logical conclusions, which will bring you to question the official report. To be free, you must think for yourself, and when there is enough information out there to help yourself start thinking freely, there is no excuse not to. If you want to live in a free society, you are required to think for yourself. You do not need special training or education to come uh, to disagreement with the official garbage. Truth is consistency. That's its qualifier. Your own self-discover answers, results, logic will be at odds with the manufactured lies. Do not buy this garbage. Seven people, seven people found this helpful. <laughs> Um, okay, so, the, uh, okay, we, I don't know. Oh my we, god. I, I think this guy um, has pushed me more into the uh, official uh, story. I think I believe it more after reading this guy's thing um, with his... Uh, Wait, what are these reviews of? 9-11? Oh, so it's the 9-11 Commission Report. It's like the official report. And they released um, it on Amazon? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a book you can buy. Wow. I actually own it. Really? I read it yet. I would love to <laughs> yeah. read at that. What's that? I would love to read at that. Or, you know. Yeah, so there's some criticisms, like with the Warren Commission report, which is about JFK. Um, there's a lot of, um, there is a lot of criticisms to be had of the official report. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, no matter what your conclusion is about like what actually happened there you know yeah. a lot of members of the commission claimed that they weren't given enough uh evidence and like they weren't uh permitted to speak to certain people and wow. but uh it, just the concept of people reviewing the 9-11 commission really report funny. on amazon is funny uh here's someone that says their username is citizen smith and the title of the review is Two plus two equals five. And the review is, quote, You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. That was and his review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Citizen Smith, two plus two equals five. The real, real cool guy there. And also, um, like, not even about 9-11. <laughs> I mean, like... You know, they talk Innocent. about being red pilled yeah. and like you know, you you know the truth, but yeah. like uh, it's funny. too bad that um, you know real criticisms about George Bush, nine eleven, the nine eleven commission uh, are lumped together with Alex Jones and QAnon and all yeah. these like Swiss cheese brains. Like like I think real criticisms can be had, but I don't think these folks really. I, I don't know if I'd want to be on the same side as them. In any even like intellectual sense but so yeah i definitely my mind was not changed by these writers in particular how about this oh yeah uh someone named will uh title uh book not in good condition book was not in good shape and very old not in good condition at all and did not smell good either wow <laughs> so yeah that actually okay. that's pretty that convinces me <laughs> i'm sold so it is funny though that uh uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's come to this or recognize this, but the Amazon reviews are lumped in like in terms of quality of the item, like uh, subjective quality of, of the book or whatever, mm -hmm. and also the quality of the physical 
package. Like, why yeah. Why could someone give it a one-star review for it not smelling good? And another guy give it a one-star review the and content. quote The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> That is interesting. Like, they should be divided or something. Yeah. So, okay. So you didn't become a 9-11 truther. Well, maybe, I, maybe next year. No, the thing is, um, I I am susceptible to rhetoric, however. Totally. And yeah. the, I don't think that those buildings collapsed because a plane crashed into them. It looks like a controlled demolition. Yeah. That's what uh, what Dan Rather said. Um, yeah, I mean, just like look at it and think about how a plane works and like how high up they hit and like that it didn't crash and fall over. Like if they had hit it at the bottom, maybe, and they fell over and like crashed the rest of the city, it just doesn't make like physical sense. So in a way, I think I already was a 9/11 truther. These reviews <laughs> weren't the tipping point, however. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. No, like I said, I think there's a lot of weird stuff involved. But uh, if anything, reading these made me less likely to believe conspiracy theories. But. But no, there is, there's weird stuff. I don't know. Uh, buildings like that have never collapsed, uh, from what I've heard, uh, from fires, like giant steel skyscrapers. Where, yeah, it's... You know, fires occur, occur uh, somewhat frequently. It's ridiculous. They haven't collapsed from that. Yeah. I would uh, love to see... I mean, not. I would, don't really want this to happen, but I imagine if... A, I'm curious to see if... A, plane crashed in a similar way into a similarly sized building i doubt that i think it would just burn those couple floors that it was on and otherwise have like a minimal effect on the overall structure of the building just like based on my like visual understanding my artistic and sculptural understanding of physics and mm-hmm. buildings so sure yeah whatever and yeah. and also the, there was building whatever the, the other building all of it yeah. just seems kind of fishy, you know? I don't know. Yeah. But I honestly, I haven't fishy. researched it enough to, to get, like, super deep into this, but... I, I mean, and this, is, this isn't, like, uh, academic at all, but, like, when I was in Russia, I, I lived there for a year and taught oh. in a school, and I, um, we had, like, a science day, and the teachers asked me to give a presentation on the moon landing, and I found out that most of the teachers didn't believe it happened, and, um... Uh, Wow. I found that a lot of the conspiracy, or like the uh, the theories about the how the moon landing was faked and stuff, like are easy to debunk, and like it's easy to you know. There's like really uh, sensible explanations for all the supposed weird stuff that happened around the moon landing, but on the other hand, there's not like the the explanations about the weird stuff on 9/11 are not as uh, they they don't make as much sense, so. <laughs> And it could just be more complicated physics and all that, but yeah, well, yeah. I'm incredulous. I yeah, I think it's just like because it's a political defense and that it was actually constructed. But I don't know. Maybe we can get into that. Yeah, <laughs> <Sometime>. I mean, <laughs> with some cool. more research, perhaps. <laughs> I guess this should be our actual first episode. Hopefully, it'll be up Yay. soon. Um, and then yeah, so I'm. Chris, uh, find me on Instagram at uh, Serial Flakes Media, and also on YouTube, same thing. Although the URL doesn't take you there, so you just search Serial Flakes Media on YouTube, and we'll have a Patreon. We have a Patreon up, so check that out if you have a ton of extra money. <laughs> um, and I'm Natalie Alsip Edwards, and you can find me on Instagram at Natalie underscore C A E. 
Okay, so, uh, cool. Until next time, this has been Prime Evil.